is 39. That's right, I'm turning 39. Not quite 40, but it's just about there. And while 40 seems like the milestone that everyone seems to talk about, I mean, there's a movie, Judd Apatow's This Is 40, but for some reason, 39 seems to be the year that I've somehow built up to and crescendoed in one way or another. And I think I need to address it a little bit because while I think 40 is gonna be a great year, for some reason, 39 seems like it's a turning point for a lot of reasons. I've said at the beginning of this show that one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to have the ability to talk to and communicate to my kids when someday I may physically be unable to. That ties to a couple of things. I don't have a fear of death because no one should fear death. We're all headed there. In a long enough timeline, the survival rate is zero. But at the same time, there's that association with loneliness and missing and longing that can't be avoided when you think about death. For me, it's not so much about death itself. It's about inaccessibility, which really doesn't just have to do with death. We could be talking about Alzheimer's. We could be talking about a coma. We could be talking about just general old age or some kind of debilitating condition. That's actually what scares me more than death is that someday I won't be able to think or speak the way I do now. And in that way, I won't be able to connect with and share with my loved ones and my kids all my love and dreams and aspirations for them. This, quote, quest for immortality is kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of saying that if someday I can't talk anymore, for whatever reason, whether I'm physically here or not, that I will still be heard. And really, it is for my kids. If someone else listens, that's great. You know what one of my favorite things to do in the world is? To read to my kids every single night. At 39, I've come to realize that one of my main roles here is a storyteller. And whether that's in books that no one ever reads or books that I read over and over and over and over again to my kids at night, it's become something that is synonymous with what I call my purpose. It's of course not my only purpose, but when I'm sitting there surrounded by my children and they watch me, they watch me read and they look at the pages and I see their eyes light up at the performance that I'm trying to give for them at the conveyance of this tale, that does something, that does something in my soul. And so it's that connection that I hope to keep and to always have for my kids and maybe even their kids. It's never been a fear of death. And no, I don't want to physically live forever. But if these recordings, if my words, if the writing, if all of these imprints I've left continue to make imprints, but in the hearts and the minds of people I care about and my kids, then that would be a pretty cool birthday gift. Obviously, I won't get it now, but what I can say is that at 39, at four decades of life, I may be able to offer something right now in the hopes that one day I will get that gift. We'll put it on layaway. Right now, what I'd like to do is maybe leave some little nuggets of what I've learned over the past four decades for my kids to have a little bit of perspective. Because I don't know when they'll listen to this. I don't know when they'll hear my voice. But it's kind of cool to think of them at some other age, maybe even close to this age, listening to this and somehow reconnecting with those quiet moments every night before they go to bed or I'm reading them their favorite stories and their favorite books. You know, recently my son received a present of a kind of book 
that really is 20 story prompts that have a page of story that then have to be continued by the reader. You have to make up your ending. You have to make up the rest of the story. And my son has gotten really, really enthralled and into it. And it's been a nice exercise for me as someone who likes to make up stories to re-enter each of these prompts and stories over and over again just to see the delight on his face when I work in things that he likes or when I pique his imagination. And so it's in that spirit that maybe I can give a little bit of, dare I say, wisdom or at least perspective on the past four decades that maybe they can follow or at least take into consideration. So the first decade, one through ten, if I have any advice here, it's to go outside and play. It sounds pretty cliche and it sounds simple, but really it's a call to seeking out adventure. When you go outside of the house, outside of your comfort zone, and you explore, and you get dirty, you get hurt, you make friends, and you get into trouble even, it does something for the nature of adventure in our spirit. And I think if I didn't go outside as a kid, if I didn't have as many friends as I did, and have as many experiences playing and and doing all sorts of rambunctious things, that it somehow would have stunted my development. I know that today it's an all too often sad case when kids are growing up attached to a screen. And while I was attached to a screen in my own way, I really only used TV and film as another avenue for my mind and imagination to play in. Because the rest of the time, you better believe I was outside. I was outside until the next thing I know, the light has changed and it's really, really dark. And then shortly followed by that, I'd hear my mom calling me from the porch to come inside. I remember waking up on weekends or summers and just delighting at jumping out of bed and then seeking adventure during that day. So I think it's completely and totally invaluable to go outside and play. In that first 10 years of life, you better get out there. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be playing sports, you could be riding your bike, you could be playing with a stick in the mud. You know, when I was a kid, I did everything from collecting bugs and jars to shooting hordes of imaginary zombies with my friends. The key was that opening your doors and going outside, almost like opening your mind to the rest of the world and everything that there is to offer. So in those first 10 years, it's almost crucial that as much as possible, just get outside. And I'm so proud and happy that my kids are enjoying the outside and craving the outside but definitely in a way that I hadn't experienced when I was their age. Their mom has instilled in them an appreciation for nature that I just never connected with until far later in my life. But it's all the same in the sense that they are getting out there and they are seeing the world and experiencing it and finding things that move them. The second decade, i.e. the teenage years, could use, of course, a lot of advice. And this is not just because I was once a teacher of students that age or that I was even a supervisor for employees that age. Although both those experiences have given me a significant amount of perspective, especially in relation to my own experience. With all the advice I could give, the biggest piece of advice that I would like to impart, especially to my kids, is to find a hobby. Find a hobby. Try everything, whether it's sports or music or art, whatever it is, whatever 
outlet it is, it's important to find something that speaks to you and something that you can jump into and learn and practice. There's such a wide range of skill sets and talents that can be honed in picking up a particular discipline because of the practice and the dedication involved in learning something new. Be that something athletic and dealing with physicality or something a little bit more intellectual or creative, like something artistic or musical. Those things are so valuable to finding out who you are as a person. And in your teen years, in that second decade, I feel like that's where you really find that love and you really choose that direction that the development of your mind and your personality go into. Because it's all fine and well to study hard at school and to be really involved in your academics and going in that direction. That should be a given. But it's those hobbies, those things that you do for the sake of doing them because you enjoy them that I feel are so important for that period. Because there's no pressure. There's only enjoyment. It's all for the pure love of whatever that thing is. And regardless of whether you stick with it or not, you have gained something from the experience. And I think that's completely invaluable. While you can do this later in life, I feel like in that second decade, it's crucial in finding out who you really are. These are pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to fit into your identity. And a lot of them won't fit, and you'll discard them. But some of them, you find, become centerpieces to that puzzle. And so, for me, there, there was all of these components. There was my obsession with basketball, which was during the first era of my teen years. And then I got into music, which meshed well with my already established interest in film and TV and media. But music and movies became this all-encompassing thing that really fed my creative brain in its development in that stage. So much so that by the end of my teen years, the end of that second decade, I had a firm idea or sense of my own development as a person and the things that I really connected with and liked. And so it brings us to the third decade, your 20s. If your childhood was about going out and exploring and your early adolescence or teen years was about finding a hobby and finding those interests, then your 20s, I would say, is when you should make mistakes. I'm not encouraging failure. I'm encouraging you to go and make mistakes. Or let me rephrase it this way. Go out and take some risks. Because the risks will inevitably not all lead to success. And, and the converse to that is not what I would call failure either. Because really, failure is a matter of perspective. And in my personal view, failure is not trying and failure is regret. That is failure. Because if you could have done something and you didn't, or you wanted to do something and you didn't, that to me is my personal form of failure. I feel like I failed if I didn't even try when I knew I could or I knew that I really wanted to. But it seems like the era of the 20s is the perfect time where you've reached, hopefully, the end of your academic journey in the sense that You've gone through the motions of getting to a point where you are officially on your own, but now's the time to go and go conquer the world. It kind of matches with the attitude and the ego that we seem to have in our 20s where we feel like we know everything and we can do everything 
And while that isn't really the healthiest encouragement to have for someone who is on the verge of crossing the boundary officially into adulthood, let's say with degrees and jobs and things like that, it's also still an important foundation for growing to go and to take risks, calculated risks, but risks nonetheless, to try and see where the possibilities are for you to expand your knowledge, your experience, and your interests. This sounds really flowery and philosophical, but really it just means go and do what you want. For some, that's partying and leisure. For others, it's career paths and the changes that you might make. But in your 20s, that's the time when you have the stamina, but you also have that kind of piss and vinegar bravery to just go and do it. And if you fall down, you're still at a point in your life where you could get back up. In fact, there's no reason you shouldn't. The benefit to come from repeated unsuccess in this era would be to build a thickening of your skin and of your mental stamina to understand that you're not going to get everything you want the first time you go for it. And in the end, you might not get it at all. And there's a certain reality check there that as you approach the end of your 20s, you realize, yeah, maybe I didn't know everything I thought I knew at 20. And maybe I couldn't conquer the world the way everyone assumes you can do. I think part of the death of the American dream is the idea that if you go through all the motions of going to school, getting a degree, and getting a full-time job, and a house, and a spouse, and 2.5 children, and a white picket fence, that notion has really just been shattered and all but melted away in recent decades because reality has really sunken in. I actually noticed this while I was teaching. At first, it was an effort on my part to impart to students that there is a certain reality outside of the school bubble that isn't often acknowledged. And it is that fantasy of school is the most important thing in the world. I have to get the best grades. I have to get the highest GPA. I have to be on the honor roll and continue on with that and I have to get into an Ivy League school and so on and so forth. When I had to explain to them that after two bachelor's degrees, I can speak to the fact that it's not as it seems once you get that piece of paper. I even had some students approach me and there were some discussions along the lines of the American dream and, and the opinions that I got from them were pretty surprising because some of them in their inexperience already had a pretty accurate assessment of the reality of things in today's world versus that fantasy that's almost spoon-fed to us from a very young age. And so it's with this acknowledgement that in your 20s, you just go forth. Just go and do what you're going to do. Because repeated lessons of how it doesn't work out seem to build a better understanding and foundation for the appreciation of when things do work and the realization that that came from hard work and from falling down a couple times. And so this brings us to the fourth decade, which is your 30s. And I would say at that point, it's time Time to buckle down. I'm approaching the end of this phase myself. I realized that at 30, that's when I finished my second degree, and that's when I decided to make a career change and move across the country and start a new life. That scenario is not something you would typically assume for the age of 30, but in my experience, I found that at 30, I'm weathered enough in my experience and my inexperience to go okay, I'm not as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and cocky as I once was. I'm a little bit calmer now, and these decisions have a little bit more weight, but I have a little bit more perspective behind them to back them. And so whereas at 20, these might have been risks where everything could have fallen apart and you could have lost everything, there's still some truth to that at 30. At the same time, hopefully, 
in learning from all of those mistakes and all the risks you took in your 20s, that at 30, you're adequately prepared, maybe not to prevent them, but definitely to deal with them. I'm not saying that when you turn 30, you need some kind of monumental thing to happen, and then the rest of it you're coasting through on cruise control. It just really means that at the start of that era, that is a period where these things seem like they make sense to happen. So when I reached 30, I made a big decision to upend my entire life and take a really, really big risk. But at that point, versus doing it when I was 20, I think the outcomes could be considered drastically different in comparison. Now, I don't know what would have happened if I did it when I was 20, but I can say that my life experience at that point wouldn't have prepared me to deal with the possible repercussions or possible unsuccess of doing something like that. To make that decision to quit a relatively stable career, to pursue a second bachelor's degree, and then to move across the country, out of the place that I've lived my entire life, that's something that you need to seriously buckle down for. And when I say buckle down, I'm talking about battening the hatches kind of buckle down, where you don't want everything that's brought you to that point to be blown away in this storm. That's nailing everything down, buckling everything down, and holding on for that ride. Because if you can weather that storm, then the likelihood that you come out on the other side with something positive, at the very least an experience, at the most a new place to live, a new career, well then, maybe that was all worth it. In any case, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there though, which is my point. You know, I did that at 30, but at the end of my 30s, where I'm currently at, it didn't get any easier. In fact, in the past year, I've gone through probably one of the hardest transitions that I've ever faced, even in comparison to what I did when I was 30. And while I don't want to get into the gory details about how my life has changed in the past year regarding career, I will say this. The decade leading up to this certainly prepared me for it. If I didn't feel as adventurous as I did in my first 10 years and find skills and talents in my teen years and then take some risks and learn from them in my 20s, then I certainly wouldn't have been able to deal with the almost toxic event that almost destroyed my current life. Let me tell you what I mean. When I became a teacher, I found this unification of my skills, my talents, my interests, my aptitudes, and my experience, all the way from being able to work with and manage and guide people typically younger than me, typically with less experience, to the creative skills of filmmaking and writing and just the execution of telling stories. At the point that I became a teacher, it seemed that right crest of a wave to kind of bring me somewhere from that huge change I made when I was 30. So from switching industries and being able to, to do all those things, to then becoming something that I never envisioned or sought out to begin with was this amazing new chapter. Sadly, I will say that it ended after half a decade. Now, hopefully, in my time as a teacher, I was able to teach some pretty valuable and lasting lessons. And judging from the response, I tend to think, and I at least hope, that that's true. But it doesn't compare to the lesson ultimately that I learned in leaving that job because of how difficult it was personally for me. I completely understand the perspective of the teacher in this country because in the first place, when it comes to the fairness in treatment and even perception of how we treat teachers, it starts globally when you look at the status of teachers in other countries and how they are treated, which in a lot of places, teachers are held at almost the same social rank or standard as other professionals like doctors and people high up in their industries who are making significant changes for our society and for that particular culture. But for some reason in this country, while we do that, 
verbally and on a surface perspective. But what's really sad is the fact that we view teachers so highly and yet we treat them so poorly. And so I understand the oppression. I understand the frustration of teachers. And I don't have a solution, but I will say that I really tried to withstand that in my time in the classroom. And so it was half a decade after I started, I realized that the powers that be are affecting and infecting my work to an extent that I am no longer able to do what I do best and do what I love most which at the time was teaching in the classroom and teaching my passions and sharing my passions. And so it was in the last year that the turmoil really reached ahead and really boiled over. Now, even at the end of my 30s, I am faced with yet another storm that I don't know if I'm going to get through. And it's not just me now, or it's not just me and my wife. Now it's me, my wife, and my kids. And not only was my career threatened, but my entire livelihood. My entire career was ready to topple, and the end result would have been having to retreat back to the Midwest. It was a sad state of affairs and an entire year-long process of trying to consider exit plans. And when you get to that point, it's something that you can't necessarily prepare for. It's like saying you're ready for a disaster. Like, oh yeah, we've done the drill. Easy. We know what to do. But when it actually happens, that's where the buckling down mentality comes in. Because that storm, despite everything you know, your ability to buckle down will be what gets you through it. And so there I was. The last lesson I taught on my last day of class was to tell my students that sometimes in life, your legs are going to be taken out from under you. In fact, they might even be broken. But that when that happens... You have to fight the pain and get back to your feet and make sure that those who did it see you walk out of that room. And that's what I was doing. I walked out of my classroom because it had gotten to that point. What came of that, when that storm cleared and the sunshine came, the fact that I buckled down and had the experience to back my resolve made it so that now I'm in a new chapter, a little before the due date of my fifth decade, and fighting all odds and conquering all perils, I've succeeded. Me and my family no longer have to retreat. My career has been elevated to a place that, despite the highs and lows of my 20s and 30s, it's where I should be. And honestly, it's a place I never would have imagined to be. And so buckling down and really just strapping in for the ride based on these decisions you've made will then call into play the previous three decades that have hopefully prepared you. I don't know if these things sound presumptuous to your ears, but again, I remind you, I'm mainly talking to my kids here, but maybe you'll get something from this too, because I see the value in reflecting back on these four decades is pretty significant in appreciating the here and now. And so I'm not claiming to be an expert on anything, nor am I trying to preach. Part of me is just putting my experience into words so that even I can wrap my head around it. Because as you thread the line back, all of these things suddenly makes sense. The adventurousness I learned in my first 10 years still applies today in my willingness to explore and to find new avenues and find new worlds and find new ways of living and expressing and going through this crazy thing called life. And the hobbies I found in my second decade have become essential pieces of this puzzle of who I am and have since been brick and mortared into the foundation of who I've become. And the mistakes I made in my 20s provided the exact amount of weathering and toughening that I needed, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, and as I got into my 30s, almost spiritually. At 30, to know that I was equipped enough to switch the path I was on and be able to tackle that road with everything I needed to be successful. And so now here we are, almost a decade later, 
and I've been buckled in. And in comparison of the start of this decade to today is an amalgamation and a magnification of all of these decades put together because here I am at the brink of 40 at some kind of strange crescendo to this weird thing called life. Now is this useful to anyone? Is this even useful to my kids? I don't know but I just wanted to put this here. This seems to be a strange pivot point that's at least worth mentioning and so if you've taken a few minutes to listen to it then I hope maybe it's at least gotten you to reflect on your own life regardless of where you are and despite the fact that you might not take any of this advice wherever you are in your journey. So happy birthday to me. I don't have a fear of getting older, but I certainly have an aspiration to get better. I feel like that's been my mantra and will continue to be so. It's weird to imagine that this is technically the halfway point of the average lifespan, but to think that I've got another four or perhaps even five decades to go and to be able to find bookmarks along these upcoming decades. That's an exciting thing. So far, if I may make a play on words here, I feel like each of these is a chapter in my life. And so whatever chapter you're on, keep reading, keep writing, and keep on turning those pages, even if no one reads them. Because I can speak to the fact that the unread book is nowhere near as sad as the unspoken word. And so as long as those words exist somewhere, then you can let them go. Away with words.